0: Amen. What a blessing to be in the house of the Lord to celebrate his goodness and his faithfulness to us. And uh, what a blessing to know that he is just giving us a glimpse now of what it's going to be like one day when we get to heaven. And today we're going to be looking a little bit at that. Let me begin just by sharing a little uh, illustration about something that happened this week. I had the privilege this past Friday night of going and serving with the Clemson Police Department as a chaplain. Got to do a ride-along, and honestly, I always have fun when I do that, but I had a great time this past Friday night, and we got to do all kinds of fun things that you don't always get to do. Uh, one of those, we actually had a traffic stop where they were checking for drunk drivers. It was one of those checkpoint things, and uh, it was a it was a lot of fun. They actually let me get out of the car and to put the they had a vest on where I had police and I even directed a little bit of traffic and all of that stuff and um, we were enjoying ourselves and uh, most of the individuals all we would do was just ask them for their driver's license and registration they'd show it to us and you just tell them go on and have a good evening be careful that kind of thing. Uh, There were some crazies that came through. We had one guy who he didn't even have his headlights on. It's one o'clock in the morning. That means you're probably drunk. Uh, So it's a good thing we had that stop. Uh, There were a couple other individuals who had different issues. But uh, one guy in particular, as soon as he pulled up, He just hit the gas, and he kept on going and went right through the checkpoint, and uh, the officer that I was with, he and I jumped in the car real quick, and we chased him down. So uh, we get there, and he said, uh, uh, I didn't realize that was a checkpoint. Now, understand, they've got signs that are set up like 30 yards ahead of time and after. There are blue lights flashing everywhere. Uh, There are A police officer standing in the roads with flashlights stopping every other vehicle, but he didn't realize that there was a checkpoint there. So obviously the individual had to be addressed, and as we're talking with him, he asked the question, he said, so what should I look for next time so that I know that it's a checkpoint? (laughs) The guy I was with, he said, uh, maybe the signs or the blue lights or the officer standing in in front of you. At the root of his question is something that many people in the church today are looking for. We want some sort of new revelation, something extra that's going to tell us something that we need, when in reality, we already have all that we need in Jesus Christ. The Word of God has already given us an incredible revelation. We have the opportunity to know exactly what God desires for us. But far too many of us are looking, and we want God to give us something that's new, something that's fresh, and it applies to me today. We call that the Word of God. You say, well, I've never really had that issue. I'm not really one of those people who's looking for a new revelation. But far too many of us in the body of Christ would declare that God's not really speaking to me right now. I'm going through a dry time where I don't really hear God's voice And if you would declare that that's you, my first question is this. When was the last time you spent time in God's word? Because God's word does still speak to you. We have the written word of God that is given to us from Genesis to Revelation. That is God's word revealing his heart, his love for mankind. And if we are children of God, you would think that we would want to know the heart of God, which makes sense that we would spend time in the word of God. We have the living word of God, which is Jesus Christ who came as a model for us to show us what it is to be a child of God, to reveal in a firsthand capacity how much love God really does have for us, that he would allow his own son to die for us is an amazing kind of sacrificial love. So even though you may say, I'm not looking for a new revelation, are you still looking at the old revelation? Because the truth is, God has been revealing himself to you and to me for a very, very long time. We must continue to look to God's word. We've been looking over the past several weeks at a passage in Philippians chapter 3. And as we've been looking, uh, specifically, we're looking at a group of people who have responded to the grace of Jesus Christ. These are ordinary individuals. We looked back in the book of Acts. The church in Philippi was a church that was filled with uh, individuals from very diverse backgrounds. You had uh, a a woman named Lydia who sells purple, very wealthy, likely someone who had great influence on other people. You had a slave girl who basically she could foretell the future, and Paul was the one who uh, really sets this girl free, and in the process, she becomes a part of that church in Philippi. Then you have a jailer in Philippi who was ready to commit suicide because he felt like a failure and he had not done the things that he felt like he ought to do. This is a very unique group of people. Every one of them a little bit different from the other one or a lot different from the other one. But the thing was, every one of them had one thing in common. They had been redeemed by the grace of Jesus Christ. Regardless of the background, regardless of the junk they had to go through, regardless of how wealthy they were or how poverty stricken they were, all of them could relate in the fact that they all had the same Savior, Jesus Christ. So in saying that, how are we any different from them? Every single person in this room comes from a unique background. Every one of us has come to this point in time through very different paths. Every one of us is experiencing life in a very different kind of way. But there is one thing that each of us ought to have in common, and that is the grace of Jesus Christ. He is the one who has reached into our lives and provided redemption and healing for us that nobody else could provide. So now what do you do? We're all children of God. What do you do with this grace that we've received? What do you do as children of God to continue to grow in that grace? The passage that was read at the very beginning by Richard says this, Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, it says, Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but then here we are. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. As we look at that passage, we celebrate the fact that we have been redeemed and we have a hope that others do not have. We have something to look forward to. But what do we do until then? Philippians 3:16 gives us the instructions we need. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. What have we attained? Paul, as he talks to this group of people, we have attained the salvation of Jesus Christ. He has given us grace. He has redeemed us. Not Paul, the salvation of Jesus Christ. That's what has redeemed us. The blood of Jesus shed for you and for me. What have we attained? We have attained citizenship in heaven. What does he mean to live up to what you have attained? What does he mean to live up? What he means is... Don't settle. Don't settle for being a peasant when you have become a part of the royal family. Far too many in the body of Christ have settled for being average and what has happened is we have become like the rest of our world instead of becoming like the savior who invited us to be a part of his world. How do you live up to that kind of standard? Isn't that more of an event like uh, we, we said a prayer many years ago and therefore now we have attained this? Isn't that the end? And the answer is absolutely not. Now that we have received the grace of Jesus Christ, do we really have to do anything to live up to it? And my answer is absolutely yes. Yes. Now that you are a child of God, now that you have been welcomed into this fantastic relationship, now that you have surrendered your life to Christ, you must now live up to it. Paul identifies three things that will help us to be able to do just that. These are all basics. They're things that every one of us ought to be able to figure out, but sometimes we need to be reminded. So Paul gives us this in the word of God. The first thing that he challenges us to do is to engage in discipleship. In Jesus's day, discipleship was very common. Every good teacher had those who followed after him. They had disciples who would follow them around and listen to everything that they taught. In many occasions, the disciples wouldn't even go home. They might even live with that teacher so that they could gather more than just the message on Sunday morning, but rather they would basically be able to watch the way they lived their lives, the way they handled things. When they faced a trial, they would be able to see this is, the way that it's supposed to be done. Uh, To be a disciple was often far more than what we think of when we think of discipleship. By the way, I'm not really inviting everybody to come and live at my house this week. Uh, That was not the purpose of that reference. Uh, But it is for us to understand that being a disciple is much more than just showing up on Sunday morning. These were individuals that they were passionately pursuing their teacher. And in our case, we're looking at Jesus Christ as our teacher. I would suggest that we need to get back to this this idea of discipleship in Christ. Where once again, we became hungry to know God and to know him personally. Not just on a surface level. Uh, We were talking earlier about those who are looking for a new revelation And to to be able to experience the, the revelation of Jesus Christ ought to be enough for us. To be able to know Him personally and to know His heart and His love and all the things that He has for us, it's incredibly powerful and beneficial to us. We need to get back to intentionally following the teachings of Jesus Christ. As we dig into God's Word, as we talked about already, we must allow His Word to transform who we are. Consider Paul's words in Titus chapter 2. He says this, You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good, then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us the purpose of that regardless of a person's age whether we're talking about an older man who needs to learn a older woman a younger woman or a younger man all of us need to be transformed by the grace of Jesus Christ There are times that we have almost written off some individuals for spiritual growth. We've almost reached a point where we've said, well, you know, they've been a Christian for so long, they're not going to change. They've been in the church for so long, there won't be any change. And I'm going to tell you, God desires for every one of us to be transformed by the grace that he extends to us. It doesn't matter if you've been in the church all of your life, or if this is the first time you've walked in the doors of a church, you have a great calling by God. He desires for you to be made new. He desires for you to be transformed into his likeness, not the likeness of our world. Every one of us must be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. But in order to do so, we must get to know Jesus Christ. Have you ever spent so much time with an individual where you began to think and act like that individual You could finish their sentences. You thought the same way that they did. As they would start to do something, you would immediately be able to finish what they were doing. That's a great experience. Well, what would happen if all of us got to know Jesus Christ so well because we spent so much time in his word? What would happen to the church if we began to know God so intimately that we all began to think like him and to act like him and to speak like him and to do everything else like him? God would move in such a mighty way that there's absolutely nothing that anybody could do to stop it. We are a church that God has placed in this location for a very specific reason. There are people here who need Jesus Christ. And we get to be the ones that bring him to them. What an incredible blessing that is to us. All of us must respond to the grace of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4, 1 says this. This is Paul writing. He says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. Now, I want you to consider for a moment what Paul is saying here. He's saying, I want you guys to live worthy of it. So I want you to take this serious, this calling that God's given you. It's a blessing. So you got to take it serious. Now, it's easy for us to take that on the surface and just say, well, yeah, of course he's saying that. But did you notice what he said at the beginning of that? Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord. What he's identifying is he has been taking this serious. Paul is not calling them to do anything that he himself is not willing to do himself. Paul has chosen to be so faithful in his pursuit of Jesus Christ and then in his proclamation to the world that they need Jesus Christ, that here he is, he's writing, he is in prison. He has chosen to serve the Lord above everything else, and he has made this his priority. He's not calling us to do something that's unrealistic. He's calling us to do what he himself has already done. What an incredible example for us. We need to do the same, to start by digging into God's word and surrounding ourselves with those who can help us in this journey, which fits with last week's message, to do whatever it takes to grow in Christ. And as we engage in discipleship, true discipleship, our perspective will change. I have one last thing that I want to share on this subject before I move on to my next point. We need to stop making excuses as to why we are not growing as disciples far too many of us have looked and we said, well, you know, I haven't been discipled because there's really nothing that anybody else has done to help me with that process. You know, there's, there's not anybody else that I can look to as a good role model and they're not willing to mentor me. And there are all these excuses as to why we're not growing spiritually, but there has to come a point where we take responsibility for ourselves. had a young lady come to me, and she was at a church that uh, she openly admitted. She said, um, my pastor is a terrible preacher. Fortunately, it was not. She wasn't talking about me. I will say that. uh, But that's not really the issue. She said, my pastor is a terrible preacher. She said, he preaches the truth, but as he does, it's incredibly boring, and he goes on really long. And by the time he's done, nobody's paying attention. She said... At first, she was bitter over that, because she was frustrated that there was nobody to lead her to help her to grow, and all of a sudden, it hit her one day that if she was going to grow spiritually, she shouldn't be dependent on somebody else. She had to make the choice to grow in Christ, and so she did. That woman today is serving as a Christian counselor, presenting the good news of Christ to people every single day. Why? Because she made the choice to grow instead of blaming somebody else because she didn't grow. If you want to be that disciple of Jesus Christ, you must make the choice to grow You need to be the one to get into God's word. You need to be the one who says, I'm not going to be satisfied sitting back and waiting for someone to come to me so they can disciple me. You be the one, you go to your brother, your sister that you trust and you respect and you see that they are growing in Christ and you say, hey, I want to grow with you. Can we start getting together? You take the initiative. Stop waiting for someone else to come and grow for you. This leads us to the second basic item that Paul lists here. It's somewhat of a a contrasting issue. He talks about those who are living for themselves and those who are living for the temporary, the today. Then he reminds them that they don't live for those things. That's because our citizenship is in heaven. Take time to remember your citizenship We know that it's a real struggle for many of us to remember our citizenship because we live in a world that is very much about the present day. It's about what you experience. It's about uh, relationships that you have here, goals that you have, financial aspirations. We've got all these things that we want for today. But God is interested not in today, but in eternity. Not just what we have today. Essential in solving this problem of remembering our citizenship is the need for us to determine who or what defines you. It's an issue that we all struggle with from our childhood, even through our adult years. I was looking this past week at some pictures of my brother and I, and that's my brother and I. My brother would kill me if he knew that I put this picture up on the screen as you guys know, I have an identical twin brother, and uh, uh, I am the one that's on the left there, and he is the one looking up in the. I don't know what he was doing. Anyways. Um, anyways, uh, it's funny the things that define us. We were happy kids, we were nerdy kids, we were skinny kids. I remember my sister used to joke that me and my brother had the skinniest legs on our high school football team. And she was right. But the things that used to define me do not define me today. The choices that I've made in the past do not define me today. What defines me today is Jesus Christ. It's not the relationships I have. It's not the things that I have. It is Jesus Christ being my Lord and my Savior. How do you begin to change your perspective so that you're looking toward your eternal home, your citizenship in heaven? It begins with us saying, you know what? It's not about all those other things, it's about what I live for. I live for eternity. Because I know that there's going to come a day where all of the things that we've lived for here, it's going to pass away. All the financial resources, they'll be gone. All of the relationships that we have here, I hope all of you guys get to heaven with me. But I'm looking forward to the relationship that I have with him. Because I know there's a day that's coming that I will be with him. And whether you're there or not, my world will be complete. It would be a whole lot better if you were there with me, but I don't live for this life anymore. I live for Him and His grace and His goodness, the blessings that He has given to me. I anticipate heaven. There are a couple of verses that are powerful. They're kind of some of them are a little bit odd, but they talk about this just a little bit. Let me give you an example from Revelation chapter fifteen, verse three. It's an odd verse because it really seems to be out of place. It says this, it says, They sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. This is an image of the people of God in heaven as they sat together, as they gathered around the throne and they worshiped the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's an interesting phrase there. They sang the song of Moses. I got to tell you, that's weird to me. We don't even sing the song of Moses here in church. We sing of Jesus Christ. What does he mean? They sang the song of Moses. Is that what we have to look forward to? And I would suggest to you that yes, it is. But there's value in singing that song. Let me connect it with another verse It's found in Luke chapter 7, verses 44 to 48. It tells the story of a woman. It says this, Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whomever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. It's a great story. Jesus is gathered with his disciples. And as he is sitting with them, he's just kind of hanging out there. Basically, he's in a nice home home. And this woman walks in and she begins to weep and she is so in love with Jesus Christ. She is celebrating him and as she is celebrating him, she begins to pour perfume over his head and then to wipe his feet with her own tears. What's significant about this, this woman was not a godly woman. Remember, we were talking earlier about all those people in uh, uh, in Philippi who came from the different backgrounds. This would have been one of those types of women. She was a horribly ungodly woman, yet God had brought grace into her life and she had been redeemed. The moment she comes in and begins to wipe his feet and to pour the perfume over his head, the people begin to grumble and complain if he knew what kind of woman she really was, there's no way that he would allow her to do that. But he does. He actually looks at them and he says to them, her story will be told for generations. This woman, we don't even know her name, but this is a woman who fell in love with God and he took this lady's story and he made her story something powerful because she was the one who bowed down and washed the feet of Jesus with her own hair and tears. What will heaven be like? We're going to gather around the throne, but we're also going to feast. We're told there's going to be a great banquet table where the people of God will gather and we'll sit and we'll worship. And I almost picture people gathering together and talking about the things that God did. And you'll hear Moses and his story as he proclaims the work that God did. And then God showed up and he did this. And I I never expected it to happen. God parted the waters and the people will celebrate and everybody will be high-fiving each other. It'll be a great time of rejoicing. That's Moses' story. Back to Revelation chapter 15. And then this woman will say, I got down on my knees and I washed his feet and the people began to grumble and complain. And Jesus said, whoa, wait a second. This woman's story will be told for generations, for she was a sinner, but she has been forgiven. And she is doing what you should have been doing yourselves. And the people will rejoice over that and they'll celebrate. Will they tell your story? Every single one of us has been brought into the grace of Jesus Christ. And now that we have been brought into the grace of Jesus Christ, we must grow in the grace of Jesus Christ. You will be amazed at the way God moves in your life as you grow in him. Every single one of us. Our story wasn't a one-time deal where we went and we knelt at an altar. Our story is a lifetime of transformation Maybe you'll be talking about the time when it felt like your whole world was falling apart and all of a sudden God showed up and he delivered you and he carried you through it. Maybe it was the time that your marriage was falling apart and you guys were about to give up and all of a sudden God intervened and he made your marriage better than it ever was before. Whatever it is that you face, when you walk with God, he continually shows up and he continues to work and do miraculous things in you. Is there really a greater story than that? To know that the God of heaven and earth, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that he is involved in your story. Can you imagine that day when you get to stand around and just rejoice with everybody else? About the way God moved in you. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And as we do, I want to first of all invite each of you to participate in that. If you are a child of God, it is a reminder for us of the great sacrifice that Jesus offered for us. The night that Jesus was arrested, he had met with his disciples and they gathered and participated in a meal. And Jesus took normal ordinary elements it was a part of their passover feast and they used bread all the time at every meal but in particular with this being the passover there were actually different types of bread that were eaten there was the the bread of thanksgiving that was used as an opportunity for the people simply to th- Thank God for what he had done. You remember the Passover story where uh, the Israelites had been slaves in Egypt and God set them free. He delivered them, and, and the people simply gave thanks. Uh, there was a reason for them to say thanks because they knew what God took them from and what he gave them. It was the bread of redemption where God would redeem them, it was the blood of the Lamb that was shed and it was sprinkled on each of the doorposts so that their people would be redeemed. When the Passover angel went through, he actually took the firstborn son of every family if there was not blood that was sprinkled on the door. And of course, we look and we say the blood of the lamb was foreshadowing the blood of Jesus Christ that would be shed for our sins so that we could be redeemed. As Jesus took the bread, those who were in attendance would have, been very familiar with the bread of thanksgiving and the bread of redemption he said every time you eat this bread i want you to remember my body that is broken for you he then took the cup of wine he said this represents my blood that is shed for you he said i want you to remember every single time that you drink this wine I want you to remember that I shed my blood for you. And he said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Today, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I want you to consider what you have to be thankful for. How has God redeemed you? Tying those two together. You remember the old life. You remember the sin that dominated your life. Are you the same person you were back then? Remember, deciding who you are, much of it is so often we fight this battle where we're trying to figure out who we are, and sometimes it's because of the things that we've done or the things that we've experienced, but God says, no, it is because of what I have done for you. Jesus Christ laid down his life for you, and today we rejoice over that. What difference did his sacrifice mean to you? We're going to bow our heads in prayer, and then as we do, I've got some individuals who are going to come, and they are going to serve the elements of communion. What I'll ask you to do is, uh, as you come forward, there won't be someone to tell you it's your time to come. Uh, We'll set up three stations to be able to receive the elements of communion. There'll be people serving on this side, over here, and over here. Come, receive the elements. If you would, take them back to your pew, and then once everyone has received them, we'll all partake in them together at the same time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege of gathering together today. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins which you have granted. We know that there is nothing that we could do to deserve that. There is nothing that we could do to truly be redeemed, to be forgiven. But by your grace, you have offered us redemption. But we thank you today for the love that you have poured out to us not just in the fact that your spirit still dwells in us, not just the fact that we get to read your word, to know the things that you have for us, but specifically because you sent your son to die for us. Your body was broken, your blood was shed. And Lord, all I can say is thank you. Lord, I pray today that every person in this room would know the grace that you have extended. You tell us in your word that if we will confess our sins that you are faithful and just and you will forgive us of that sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know today that it is the blood of Jesus that washes away every one of our sins and today this is not a solemn occasion but it is an opportunity for us to rejoice for you have made us clean and you have made us whole. Lord, I pray today that as we as we partake in these common, ordinary elements, that they would take on much, much greater meaning. Lord, I pray that you would help us to realize the cost of the redemption, the cost of our salvation. Lord, thank you for what you did for us. I pray now for each individual who is here, that this would be more than a ritual but that this would genuinely be a celebration of your grace. But not just now. Every moment of our lives allow us to walk in celebration of what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I will ask that as you guys come, if y'all would come up the left side of whatever section of fuse you're in and then come back in the right side, it'll make it much easier traffic-wise. But we invite you to come at this time and receive the elements of communion. Jesus met with his disciples on the night that he would be arrested he shared with them things that were very foreign to them they saw him coming as a mighty king who would overthrow and would set things straight and the Jewish people would be able to rise up over even the Romans but God didn't come in the form of Jesus Christ simply to rise up over the Romans he came to conquer sin and death and in order for that to happen he would have to lay down his life as a sacrifice He took the bread and he said, this represents my body that is broken for you. He said, every time you eat this, I want you to remember what I did for you. Remember that body. Again, he took wine. This is simply grape juice. I don't want you to be disappointed when you drink it in just a moment. But he took the wine and he said, this represents my blood that is shed for you. Without the shedding of blood, and this was not new with Jesus Christ, all throughout the Old Testament, Without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness of sins. But because Jesus Christ allowed his blood to be shed, all of our sins are forgiven. He said, every time you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. Again, let us pray. Father, as we come before you, we thank you for the body that was broken. Thank you for willingly becoming our sacrifice, paying the price for our sins redeeming us. Thank you for shedding your blood so that our sins could be forgiven. Help us every single day to live in celebration of your sacrifice. Help us to be people who don't necessarily look back at a certain point in time when we ask for forgiveness, but I pray, Lord, that every one of us, every moment of our lives, we would pursue you with a passion, a passion that cannot be quenched. But I pray that your will would be done in us. Mold us and shape us until we look just like you. Have your way in us and we'll celebrate your work. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I do thank each of you for being a part of our service this morning. I also want to encourage you. It was mentioned. Actually, I would like, can we do something just a little bit different just to close out the service this morning? Those who are going to Florida this week, can you guys come up? I would love it if we could pray over you guys. We're sending some, uh, some people out who they're going to go as missionaries to serve the hurricane-ravaged areas in Florida. I want us as a church to be able to pray specifically for these guys. They not only represent us, but they represent Jesus Christ. There are actually, I think, about a half dozen people that are going to be going, but we have three of them here this morning, so uh, let's specifically, if if, so, if others want to come and gather around and lay hands on them, you're welcome to do so. I want us to pray for them. doesn't matter if it's your first time here, you've been here for a hundred years. Father, we come before you today and we are so grateful that your work continues to move forward. In the midst of... Tragedies and trials, there's the opportunity for your name to be lifted up. I pray that as this team leaves tomorrow, that they would truly be able to display the love of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately needs it. I pray that you would open up doors for them to minister to people who right now are wondering whether or not God is real. Lord, I pray that the love that is being displayed, even through the generosity of your people here, Lord, I pray that it would speak to people, that they would recognize that not only are there people that do not even know them, but loves them, but they would also realize there is a God that loves them very, very much. Lord, I pray for their safety as they travel. I pray that you would go with them every step of the way, and that as they journey, Lord, that it would be your spirit that just envelops everything they do. We look forward to hearing how you work in and through them. May they represent you incredibly well. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. I do thank each of you for being with us this morning. Go in peace.